0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم قل ادعوا الله أو ادعوا الرحمن أيما تدعوا فله الأسماء الحسنى صدق الله العظيم سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم we praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as he is the being that is worthy of being praised We praise him and we thank him for having guided us And without him having guided us we would not have been guided And we praise him and we thank him for allowing us to be a part of the The ummah and the followers of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam And we send blessings and salutations upon Prophet Muhammad sallallahu wa sallam, And upon his family and upon his wives and upon his progeny and upon his companions And those that followed them in their ways Jazakumullah khair and everybody for coming to this Mahab Foundation Sacred Knowledge class on the 99 names of Allah. Uh, excuse us for the disruption in the beginning, but it would have been very close to Maghrib time by the time we finished, so made our <coughs> So last week, if anybody remembers, if anybody can just like give a recap maybe of what we discussed last week, inshallah everybody's remembering. <laughs> just a general summary. Anybody? Nobody? Yeah. All you, you talked about there were different levels of understanding of Allah Ba'ala's names. And then you were talking about how they all describe attributes of Allah. And uh, the name Allah covers all of them. Right. And some other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right. So generally, last week was the introduction. We spoke about how all of the different names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they're actually different attributes of Allah. And each of them has a different benefit. Each of them has a different meaning. And Imam Ghazali, rahimullah, he mentions that there is no, there's no synonym, and we'll go more into that. Uh, but he says that there's no synonyms between the two names, <coughs> uh, between two names that sound alike or have a have a similar meaning. And this is actually uh, one of the great, uh, one of the great points about Arabic, the Arabic language, because in English generally you have you have synonyms, so you have many words that might mean the same thing. Whereas in Arabic, you have one word that means a lot of different things. Right? So if we take the word daraba, for example, Darabun, right? in the Quran, it comes many times. This word, it can mean to hit, it can mean to travel, it can mean an example. Um, and there's a lot of different other examples as well. One word has so many different meanings. Right? There's another one that means uh, it's ragiba, So Raghibah, depending on the particle that you bring after it will change the meaning also so raghiba like ra Rain, and ba if you use it with a certain particle then it can mean to inspire or encourage somebody but if you use it with a different particle it can mean to uh, discourage somebody or not inspire somebody the exact opposite meaning and so imam azadi rahimullah he points out that the names of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala share a similar pattern and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not have included them as a, as one of His names if they were just you know a different way to say the same thing uh... <clears throat> so this week inshallah will continue on with uh... will begin rather with the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh... also mentioning yeah, last week that the name Allah was all inclusive of all the other names of Allah ta'ala meaning it, it shares the the meanings and the benefits of all of the other names and this is why Imam wa Hanifa rahimullah he said that this is the Ismul Adham. This is the great name of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Right? That in a hadith it says that whoever calls upon Allah Taala by His Ismul Adham, by His magnificent name, then it is incumbent on Allah to answer that prayer, that supplication. However, it wasn't revealed to us what exactly that name was. So the ulama have differed, and you know, it's kind of like the uh, the you know the letters, the huruf those letters that come in the Quran that we don't know their meaning, right? Alif Lam Mim, for example that the ulama have had discussions about what it could mean, but really we don't have a definitive with 100% can we say what it does mean. Uh, So Imam Abu Hanifa and many scholars said that Allah is the Ismul Adam, but really we don't uh, actually know. So Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim. First of all, if we look at the opening of the Qur'an and the opening of all the different surahs, with the exception of Surah Tawbah, but if we look at most of the surahs, then we'll see that the, the first three that they begin with, if you consider it, if you consider Bismillah ar-Rahman rahim to be a verse of Quran, to be a verse of Surah Fatiha or to be a verse of Quran, then the first words that are uh, at the beginning of every chapter are the name Allah and ar-Rahman and ar-Rahim. And even if you don't take it to be, there's you know many opinions that say many scholars that have said it that Bismillah ar-Rahman rahim is not actually a verse of of the the first verse of all these different chapters. Regardless, we still recite it at the beginning of every chapter. And so you have Allah and Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim coming at the beginning, constantly being repeated. We also, when we begin our Salah, we begin with Bismillah, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. We begin everything in the name of Allah. And this is even an indication as to the importance of the name of Allah. Because... Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it has not been taught to us to say Billahir Rahman Rahim, but rather it has been taught to us to say Bismillah in the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, specifically the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes on to Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim. This is an indication that these are probably the greatest of Allah's names. Right? First Allah, which we already discussed, and then Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim. Those are probably the greatest and most important of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's names. And this makes sense also. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, there's a hadith Qudsi that, uh, right, hadith Qudsi, if you guys, anybody who doesn't know what that is, those are hadith of the Prophet narrations of the Prophet sallam, that he was narrating of something Allah informed him of. But they are not included as, so they are a type of revelation, but they are not included in the Quran. This is called hadith Qudsi. So there's one such hadith Qudsi wherein uh, Rasulullah Wasallam he said that uh, Allah Ta'ala, Allah Most High has said, uh, rahmati ghadab, uh, ghadabti, ghadabi. That my mercy it precedes my anger. So we know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we can incur the wrath of Allah, Ta-A'la. we can incur His anger. But He has said that His mercy precedes His wrath. That before He will inflict punishment, before He will show, manifest His anger, He will give respite and give respite and give respite for a long time. And this is a sign that His mercy is proceeding because He's not taking us to task the, mo- the moment that we displease Him or the moment that we commit a sin or disobey Him. And this is we can find this in, in Iblis also, that He committed such a sin, His sin of arrogance and disobeying Allah, that Allah Ta'ala threw Him out of the heavens. He threw Him out of Jannah and He condemned Him to the fire of Jahannam for all of eternity. But Shaytan even asked for some respite. He said, Oh Allah, give me respite until Yawm Al-Qiyamah. So for however many thousands or millions of years, Allah Ta'ala has given him respite. <coughs> this is an example of how Allah Ta'ala's mercy <coughs> precedes his, his wrath. So even you could think, Iblis has all this time, he could even make tawbah, right? I mean, he's a jinn, so he's one of the creations of Allah, he has free will, he could even make tawbah, but he chooses not to. Right? But would he, were he to make tawbah, which he won't, Allah Ta'ala possibly he would forgive him also. Right? Because Iblis also believes in Allah, right? He also believes in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, also a saying of Umar radiallahu anhu that one time he caught somebody doing some, dumb, doing some wrong. Right? I forget what, the, what, what they were doing, but they were committing a grave sin. And so Umar radiallahu caught him and went to stop him and this person responded to him saying that uh, this is, it's only the first time that I did it. I, I haven't done this before, so let me go. You know? Umar radiallahu says, no, you're lying because Allah ta'ala will never expose you the first time you commit a sin. So if you are being exposed, that means that you have done it before. Allah has already given you respite because He is too merciful. He will not expose you the first time you do, commit a sin or do some wrongdoing. I Was It ste- may have been stealing, yeah, possibly. <coughs> and so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, so we begin the Quran, everything with Bismillah rahmanir rahman rahim Now, <coughs> these two names of Allah, Rahman and Rahim, we generally think of them to be synonyms. Right? We generally we say, what do we, we translate them as? The most merciful, the most compassionate. They both have the same root. Right? In Arabic you have root letters. Everything comes down to a root. So it comes from uh, rahim, Rahima Yarhamu. And the root word is Rahma. So we are discussing Rahman and Rahim. Both of them are coming from the root word of Rahma. But they have a slight different meaning. And Imam Ghazali even mentions this, that even the slightest change or indication that one word might have over another indicates to us that it is not a synonym. And so he says, for example, to understand this, he gives the example that Saif is a word for sword. right? Saif in Arabic means sword. And we know Khalid bin Walid was Saifullah, the sword of Allah. So Saif is the word for sword. However, there's another word that means that is a Muhannad. And this means an Indian sword. And there's another word that is, uh, I believe it's Samir. And this means a sharp sword. So all of these words are a word for sword but they all have a slight like safe is a general meaning whereas Muhannad is a specific indian sword and samir means a sharp sword so although all of them are swords muhammad will give you a meaning that safe does not give you so therefore it is not you cannot say Muhannad is a synonym for sword right for safe and vice versa so there's a slight difference in their meaning and their understanding and he explains that there's two types of there's two types of mercies one is perfect mercy and one is inclusive mercy. So perfect mercy is the pouring out of benefaction to those in need and directing it to them for their care. Meaning a person is in need, so you pour out your benefaction. And what does benefaction mean? Uh, benefaction means... It's slipping my mind right now. Shall <coughs> um, sure it'll come. So benef- it is the pouring out of benefaction to those in need. And then you have inclusive mercy. And inclusive mercy is when it embraces the deserving and the undeserving alike. Okay, so rahmah, or sorry, perfect mercy is the pouring out of benefaction. And uh, inclusive mercy is to gi- give it to those uh, who are deserving and undeserving alike. So what is Allah's mercy? Which one of these is Allah's mercy? Does anyone have a guess? Both. Both, <coughs> exactly, right? So Allah's mercy is both, it is perfect and it is inclusive. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, His mercy is, it encompasses the entire world. It encompasses this world, it encompasses the next world. It includes the bare necessities and the needs and it is, it, it is the special gifts over and above those needs. Thus, He is utterly and truly merciful. So Imam Ghazali rahimullah is explaining that Allah Taala's mercy is, it is tama, wa amma. it is both perfect and inclusive. That it is general and it is specific. And it is complete. Because it is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that only being that can provide for our needs in every single way possible. Then he goes into an interesting point. He says, because we think, okay, we can also have mercy. And we mentioned last time that we can share the names of Allah's attributes, but we cannot share them in reality. So we can also show a type of mercy to a degree, but not in the same way that Allah Taala shows His mercy, that He is merciful. So Imam Ghazali says that when a person is merciful this is not true mercy if a normal insan normal person shows his mercy to somebody in need then what he is actually doing he's not actually showing them mercy because he's trying to take because he wants to take care of them what moves us to take care of them is empathy and pain that we see somebody in need and so we feel a type of pain in ourselves and when we are overcome with this pain and this empathy for an individual, this moves us to try and fulfill their su- or end their suffering, fulfill their needs, take care of them. So he says, in actuality, we are not taking care of them for the- that person. We are taking care of them because we want to end our own pain. The pain that we might feel for this individual going through some difficulty. And then, he, and then there's an example that the ulama give. They say, for example, Fir'aun was without mercy. Pharaoh, right, what did he claim? He claimed, Anna Rabbukumul ala He claimed that I am your Rabb, I am your Lord and I am the highest Lord. So he said that there might be, this indicates to us that he said, maybe there's other deities but I am the highest Lord. It's interesting though that he didn't even call himself Allah. He said, I am the highest Rabb, but he didn't refer to himself as Allah. And Imam Ghazali mentions that this is something that is reserved for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So even in his, own, in his own misguidance and his own disbelief, he didn't claim the title of Allah, but nonetheless he claimed to be higher than Allah. He said that I am the highest Rabb, I am the highest Lord. And when the mother, when his wife believed in Musa and believed in his message and believed in the oneness of Allah, then he became angry, Fir'aun became angry. And Fir'aun said, he questioned her that are you believing in Allah when I have not given you? When I have not given you permission to believe in Allah, are you worshipping Him alone when I have not permitted you to do so? And he said the same thing to his own magicians that believed in Musa a. Because who were the first to believe in him were those people that he was sent against. Right? Musa a. his miracles had, uh, dealt with overcoming the magicians and their sorcery and their witchcraft. So they recognized that what they were doing was just some type of you know, witchcraft or, or, or magic. They recognized what Musa a. was doing was something beyond that, something greater than what they were doing. So anyway, Fir'aun responds to them in the same way that, have you believed in Allah when I have not permitted you to believe in Him? And in this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shows that defining moment of how He is merciful and those other fake deities are not merciful. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals in the Qur'an, اللَّهُ uh, آمَنُوا مْرَأَةَ فِرْعَوْنِ إِذْ قالت رب بني لي عندك that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran that Allah strikes an example for those who believe in the wife of Fir'aun. For those who believe, He make, gives them an example with the example of the wife of Fir'aun. When she said, Oh my Rabb, build for me a house near you in Jannah. So what was happening? Fir'aun, he, w- he resorted to torturing her. He had her stretched and pulled and he was stretching her limbs. Right, to his wife, to his beloved wife. Fir'aun is stretching her. When Rasulullah sallallahu said, that the best of you is the one who is the best to his wife and the best to his family. Right? Shaykh Fadl, you guys know Shaykh Fadl, the imam in Bellevue Masjid, ICOE. He was at a Walima once giving a talk and he said that the husbands should be like leopards in the homes and lions outside of their homes. That outside they should show their manliness, right? they should be strong and confident. But when they are inside the home, they should be like leopards. That doesn't mean don't be, don't be confident, but it means you should be playful and soft with your wife. Right? And so Rasulullah said that the best of you is the one who is best to his wives. But then Shaykh Fadl said that today, it's the other way around. Right? People have resorted, the, the husbands have resorted to showing their, their, their power and their might in the homes, and they're not even mice outside the homes. right? Anyway, so Fir'aun, he's facing his wife, and he's stretching her and he's pulling her. He's showing her the... The extreme opposite of mercy. And in that moment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala manifests His mercy. That she makes this dua to Him. She supplicates to Allah that, Oh Allah, build for me a house in your proximity, a house in Jannah. And save me from Fir'aun and from His actions. And save me from the oppressive people and the oppressive nation. So what happens? She's being pulled and she's being stretched. She makes this dua, she supplicates. And in that moment, that final pull and stretch that caused her death, that would have caused her death rather, that excruciating pain that would have caused her death, Allah Ta'ala takes her soul and He actually brought her death before she felt that pain. He opened up the skies to her and He showed her her place in Jannah, her abode in her house. And so when she saw that, she was completely removed from any feeling of this world. And then Allah Ta'ala pulls her soul from her body, so she didn't feel that pain. So in that moment, when she's screaming and Fir'aun, who was claiming to be the highest Rabb, had no mercy, Allah Taala shows His mercy, and He shows it in such a way that nobody could equal. That He took her life before she felt any of that pain, right? Before she felt any of that pain, right? So going back to benefaction, right? We mentioned that uh, uh, perfect mercy was to uh, the pouring out of benefaction to those in need. If we understand the, if we look up the dictionary definition of what does benefaction mean, benefaction means a donation or a gift. So this goes back to Imam Ghazali saying how Imam Ghazali saying how when we try to be merciful to someone we're not truly being merciful to them because all we're doing is trying to remove our own pain and our own suffering or empathy that we feel. And we are moved to do so by helping those in need. And so benefaction is actually a more uh, it's a better translation for the word, for the name Ar-Rahman because it includes the meaning of gift. You might give a donation to somebody because you feel bad for them but sometimes, like I, I studied in South Africa, it's, co- it's quite common. I mean, it is a poverty-stricken country. There are a lot of people in poverty, a lot of people in need, a lot of beggars who are in need. But it is also, it's, it's a livelihood there, right? It is actually a profession over there. One of my teachers told me, he told our class once that there was a woman who would beg. Every day she'd be outside of the store and she would beg every single day, ask for money. And she would get her money. And at the end of the day, just before the grocery store closes, she would go inside and she would buy small loaf of bread and it wasn't even the good quality bread it was like the worst quality you know the stuff that's like totally glue in your system she would buy that that bread and she would go so really everyone thought she's she's in a lot of you know she has a great need right she doesn't have any money when she died she left an inheritance of like thirty or forty thousand dollars right thirty or forty thousand dollars I mean thirty thousand dollars goes a long way even here not very many people have that much cash saved up right to tell you how how far that goes One of my teachers bought a house for $5,000 and put about another $5,000 into renovating it. It was a nice house. So she left an inheritance of $30,000. Right, so you have these types of situations, these types of people coming to you, and it's unfortunate for those people who are actually in need, but what happens oftentimes is people come, beggars will come, and we don't even want to give them. Right, we think they're not actually in need, this person looks healthy, this person, you know, one time I, I saw somebody on the side of the freeway, at the exit, he's holding a sign, right, asking for for money, and this guy was like, he had meat on his bones, he had a big smile, he looked like he was very healthy, right, and like a few feet down from him was somebody who was just in a very, looked like in a very bad condition, you know, so sometimes you get people who are faking the part, and so because of that, we feel sometimes when someone asks us for money, we say, you know, I don't even feel like giving this person, he's probably not even really in need of it, but you'll still give them, you'll still give them, This is a perfect example that you'll give them, you're not giving them because you even want to. You're just giving them because you want them to leave you alone. However, when you give a gift to somebody, you have a friend, for example, or a sibling, and you give them a gift, right? Eid comes, you give them a gift. Usually a gift is not because you're trying to end their suffering. You just want to give them a gift out of the goodness of your heart. And so benefaction, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has this benefaction. And that's why sometimes you'll find that the translation of Ar-Rahman is the benefactor, as opposed to the compassionate and the merciful. Right in reality, no language can actually encompass the, the the true understanding of what Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, what Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala is and what His different names and attributes are. And so Allah, but Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala's mercy it transcends this pain and this empathy, right? Because Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, like we might give somebody to end our pain, but Allah Taala is transcendent beyond this. He doesn't feel any pain, right? He doesn't feel any pain, nor is he benefited by anything. So we might give to somebody and we. You know, even might receive some type of benefit, right? For example, we might give a gift to somebody and there might be benefit for us because then they'll feel obligated to give us a gift back. However when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shows His mercy and His rahma, then what happens? It doesn't matter if the whole world worshipped Allah in the way that He deserves, right? Let alone in, the, in, in just worshipping Him. Because we don't worship Allah in a way that He deserves. We can't. There's a story of Isa right? Prophet Jesus peace be upon him, that he was traveling once and a person comes to him and says that uh, make dua to Allah for me that I worship him how he deserves and Isa says no I'm not gonna make this because he understood he was a prophet right he understood what this dua means the person begs him and begs him and he won't leave him alone finally he says fine he supplicates to him and Isa goes on his way eventually some time goes he's traveling back through this town he meets the people and he asks them what happened to that one person they said ever since you left he doesn't eat, he doesn't sleep, he doesn't drink. He sits on the edge of a cliff and he's just in a trance. That's it. He's just in a trance. Right? So it was the manifestation of the dua of Isa right? It was accepted. He was now worshipping Allah in the way that Allah Ta'ala was deserving of. Right? This doesn't mean that we sit down and we meditate without making our salah. Right? We don't know what was going on in that person's mind and heart and what was transpiring there. But to whatever he was capable, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, he was immersed in the ibadah of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. So we cannot, we cannot, uh, Isa understood this and recognized this. So that's why he didn't want to make the supplication. So we cannot uh, uh, worship Allah Ta'ala in the way that he is deserving of. However, if the entire world even did worship Allah Ta'ala in that manner, we would still be unable, uh, uh, we would still be unable to benefit Allah in the least. Allah Ta'ala, it wouldn't increase him at all, right? If the whole world worshipped him. And if the whole world turned against Allah, and sought out every single act of sin and disobedience in the worst way that could be done, it wouldn't take away from Allah in the least. One of my friends, I don't know if you guys know him, Sheikh Hamza Makbul, he used to live here, he's now in Chicago, he comes back once in a while. Uh, he was telling, a, telling me one time that, you know, oftentimes when you when you see a Muslim go bad, then they go the worst. They'll go far beyond like when a non-Muslim is not doing good, right? When a non-Muslim is sinning. He said, because... We know what is pleasing to Allah and we know what is displeasing. And Allah Ta'ala has made sinful the things that are the worst things. So it's like when you go bad, when a Muslim goes bad, he knows how to really go bad. So he goes bad in the worst way. Right? However, it doesn't decrease from Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala in the least. He's not, it doesn't harm Allah Ta'ala in the least. right? If the entire world left his worship and everyone was thrown into Jahanam, it it really would not harm Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala in the least. So his mercy is truly is actual mercy because he's giving and he's showing his mercy to us without any benefit to himself it's not bringing any type of <coughs> benefit to himself then imam ghazali rahimullah he goes on and he mentions the difference between ar-rahman and ar-rahim so first of all ar-rahim right, the the form that this takes in arabic is uh, it's what's called balil, right so it's like if you think about the word it's rahim right ra ya rahim like follow that pattern right we don't have any markers but follow that pattern of pattern of rahim. If you think about a lot of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala's names, they share this pattern. So rahim, alim, uh, samir, basir, all of them have a fatha on the first letter. They have a kasra on the second letter. They have a ya after it, and then they have the last letter. Many of His names have this. So this is called Balir in Arabic. This is an exaggeration or like a superlative form, right? So somebody can be merciful. And then, if we say they are rahim, that means they are even more merciful to an extreme degree. So we'll find that many of Allah Subhanahu Wa (coughs) Taala's names share this. So, for example, we might say that an individual is an alim; he is one who knows. But Allah Taala is alim. Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala's knowledge is absolute, right? So it's an exaggerated form. However, so rahim is this exaggerated form of mercy. However, ar rahman is even more specific, and it's an even higher case. Of, uh, of mercy then Rahim would be and he says that the reason for this is because nobody but Allah sh- uh, has the name uh, Rahman whereas Rahim, oh we have markers. does everyone get it? If you want okay, Did everyone understand it or should we like write it on the board? You guys got it? It's okay sometimes you know the people like you're afraid to raise your hand or something. I was always that guy so you can, okay, so <clears throat> um, Right, so Rahman, nobody shares in this name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whereas Rahim, it can be shared, right? You'll have people known as Rahim, they'll name their children Rahim. Um, and it's okay, actually, even Islamically, to name your child Rahim without <coughs> Abdur before it. Whereas Rahman, nobody has this name. And we shouldn't name our child just Rahman, rather Abdur Rahman, right? The slave of Rahman. And so nobody shares this name except for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nobody has this name except for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then Imam Ghazali gives an example of how Rahman is higher than Rahim and higher than any of the other names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he brings this verse, uh, uh, الرحمن, That call on, he says, say, call on Allah or call on Ar-Rahman. That whichever of the, the names you call on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with, they are all his, they are be- his beautiful names. Right, so Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala says. Now we can call on Allah by any of the other names too, right? We can call on Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala as you know. We can say Ya Basir or Ya Sami, right? Oftentimes we'll say uh, Ya Mukallib Al Qulub, right? Oh, the Turner of Hearts, right? We'll call on Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala by some other attribute, right? Not something that's one of His ninety-nine names. However, in this verse, Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala says, call on Allah or call on Ar Rahman. So by the the fact that He brought Rahman in this verse, right next to Allah, shows us that it is the closest in meaning and closest in, in, um, in degree to the name Allah. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't mention any other name uh, here. And so it's, this also tells us that this, th- this is a higher degree of mercy than uh, Rahim is. <clears throat> and then he says that Rahman specifically, it's a type of mercy that is beyond people. And it is more specifically related to happiness in the Akhirah. Right, and so, Ar Rahman is truly the one who loves Insan. Right, so, number one, it is what we mentioned, that it is related to the Akhira, happiness of the Akhira. And then he says, Ar Rahman is related to the, is the, is the, is the one who loves Insan, is the one who loves humankind. And then he gives a few examples. That what are the examples that he loves humankind? Number one, that the fact that he created us. And how did he create us? So, he created us as Insan. He created us, he could have created us as some blade of grass, he could have created us as a tree, he could have created us as anything else, right? But he chose to create us as insan. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Teen, لَقَدَ خَلَقُنَا fi فِي right? That I have, we have uh, uh, created insan in the best of molds. That insan is the best of creation. And so the fact that He created us as Insan is one example of how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves Insan. The second example is that He guides us. He guides us and He shows us the correct way. Right? He shows us the way of Iman, Islam, following the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And then so you might think, okay, well, what about the people who don't become Muslim? Right? What about the non-Muslims? Even in this, now obviously if you turn away from the guidance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then this is not, you know, uh, you have not been guided, Right? However, for those people who maybe never hear the the message of Islam in its true form, the aqeedah of uh, of Sunnah wal Jamaah is that those that do not hear about Islam in its true form, then they are exempt. If they do not follow, then they are actually not held accountable by Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala either. Right? Then the scholars go into a difference of opinion as far as so what level of hearing about Islam and, you know, in today's time, a lot of everyone's heard about Islam, but have they heard about it in its true form or not, right, because you have the media propaganda and all these different types of things. Those are discussions for aqeedah but in general, if a person has not heard of Islam, about Islam in its true form, then they're actually not held accountable by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So even this is a sign of his rahmah towards insan, right. This doesn't mean that if we know people that are not muslim that we don't give them da'wah because we say that, oh, we don't want to, uh, we don't want to make them accountable. No, because Allah Ta'ala, you know, he's gonna he's still gonna ask them that why didn't you follow? And they're gonna point their finger at us and say, well, this guy is Muslim and he never told me. Right? So it, we are accountable for just conveying the message of Islam, conveying the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We're not responsible for them following and believing. Right? And there's examples of this in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when Rasulullah would become saddened and grieved by those that were not following. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, look, you're not a, you're not accountable for their belief or not, you're just accountable for conveying the message. Anyway, the third example is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grants us that happiness in the Akhirah. So He could have just ended our life and ended our souls and there was nothing for us. But He chose to create Jannah just so we could dwell in it afterwards. And in Jannah, there will only be bliss. There will only be happiness. To the point, to the extent that even like, you know, you have a sunny day, for example. And, you know, most people, they enjoy the sun. However, the sun still pierces your eye, for example. Right? And so there's a bit of discomfort that Jannah will not even have that amount of discomfort. That slight discomfort, like the ulama describe it as a type of sun that will be, some say that the sun will not be there, but there will still be that brightness that the sun brings. Because generally the sun, it does, it brightens our day, right, like metaphorically as well, right, we feel better, we feel happier usually, right. And so like Seattle has one of the highest depression rates because of the cloudiness right throughout the year. But even to that extent, there will not be discomfort in the Akhirah in Jannah. That our, even our eyes will not feel the pierce of the brightness of the, the, the days in Akhira. And number four, how is Allah, Allah Subh'anaHu wa Ta-A'la could have ended it there, right? That would have been enough for us. But He gives us, He grants us the Ru'ya of His countenance in Jannah. However that means, right? So some people will have the privilege of gazing upon Allah Subh'anaHu wa Taala every single day. And some people will have the privilege of gazing, gazing, uh, uh, gazing upon Him like once a month, once a week, uh, you know, once a year. Some people only do it once throughout their entire time in Jannah. Now, you know, a, a side note that there is actually no time frame in Jannah. There's no time because time is a creation of Allah as well, right? So there's no like day and night in Jannah. But these are examples used to uh, show us the frequency of which someone may, you know, look upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or the frequency at which some events might take place, right? Like when you arrive at your house in Jannah, you're going you're gonna to gaze upon your palace for 70 years, Right? There's no years, but it's just trying to show us the magnitude of how beautiful it will be. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will grant us this Ru'ya in Jannah. And this is another example. Even Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will recite Qur'an for us in Jannah. Right? So imagine we hear the best reciters in the world. It makes us feel nice. Imagine Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reciting the Qur'an for us. And when people recite Qur'an beautifully, then it touches our hearts. It breaks us to tears. Imagine Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, uh, reciting Quran for us so Imam Uzali gives these points and says that Rahman is more specifically for the uh, happiness of the Akhirah, and then he says he tells us how can insan share in the attributes right so again we share the, the attributes in name but not in reality so how can we share in Rahman we share in Rahman by showing mercy to the negligent and dissuading them from it. So when we see somebody in sin, when we see somebody disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we show them mercy, right? We show them mercy um, by trying to discourage them from it. And he specifically says, by counseling them through gentleness and not through violence. But what happens today? You know, we take ourselves to be the saviors of Islam. And, you know, we try to come like the, you know, the mutawas in Saudi, right? We come with the stick and we try and correct everybody. And the, right? we, think, we hear the examples of Umar radiallahu anhu. But Umar anhu also, he used to correct people, right? With, with strictness, with rigidness. But he, it was to those people who should know better. Because he received a letter once uh, uh, when, Is, when the empire of Islam had grown and the Muslims had grown and a lot of people had entered into Islam but their iman was weak. The, one of the generals may have been Khalid bin Walid radiallahu anu, uh, or Sorry, Omar Ad-Nu actually removed him from, he made him second in command. But I forget who it was from. They sent a letter saying that there is one individual um, and he is, you know, he's a drunkard, always drinking. He's an alcoholic and we always tell him not to, what should we do? So Omar, Ad-Nu, he could have said, there were instances where he said, call this person, send him to me, send him all the way to Medina munawarah this individual, Umar uh, he sent, him a, sent a letter saying just give him this letter and let him read it. And It was verses of the Quran about how we should not you know, engage in disobedience of Allah and we should uh, you know, be thankful to Allah for, the, for His mercy and we should obey Allah and obeying Him is showing thanks to Him um, and Allah Taala will take us to account if we are, con- are continuous on our disobedience. So he didn't ask for him to be beaten, he didn't ask for him to be called back, he just sent these letters this letter of the verses of the Qur'an and this person made Tawbah and he changed. You know, there was a a sheikh in Portland, Ustad Amr Khalifa, you guys may have heard of him. As the MSA, you guys should actually call him. We used to call him a lot in our MSA days. He came once for a conference here and he he gave us a talk and he said that outside his masjid uh, there was a bus stop and there was a woman who was, she would come and she would take the bus and there was this older Pakistani man and she would help him every day. You know, she would help him get on the bus, she would help him with whatever things he needed to be lifted up and everything. So he felt this softness in his heart for her. And he went and he told Ustad Amr Khalifa and he told the other Muslims in the masjid that go give her da'wah. She's such a good person. Give her da'wah. I would would really love that she become Muslim, you know. And we should in reality have this concern for everyone. But anyway, they went, they gave her da'wah and eventually she decided to become Muslim. So she comes into the masjid one day. Um, and she speaks to Ustad amr Khalifa, and she says, "You know, I, I want to become Muslim, or t- talk to me about this religion. I'm interested." And so, anyway, they have her recite the shahada. She takes she takes the shahada. She becomes Muslim. Now it was her first day, right? She comes in. It was a hot day, spring summer day. She comes in. She's not dressed appropriately, uh, particularly for the masjid, right? So Ustad Amr tells her, "says You know, okay, the, you know, go home and you know, for example, take your ghusl, and this is the shahada." Um, and then he leaves it at that. He says. My wife has a class in the evenings, uh, and she has a class tonight, so why don't you come and you can meet her, and then she'll start teaching you slowly, you know, whatever it is you need to know." He didn't say anything about her dress, right? She goes outside, she's like, okay. She goes outside and he stands up for salah. And he said the windows were open, and it was like time of Zohar or Asr or something. As soon as he makes the takbir, starts his salah, it's silent, the windows open. He hears another couple of brothers who are the saviors of Islam. They, uh, they see her come out of the masjid and they start screaming at her. That don't you know This is not how you're supposed to be dressed? What's wrong with you? No, you don't have any shame and saying all kinds of things. He said, I'm in salah, I have a whole congregation behind me, I couldn't even, I couldn't do anything. I just heard her running away, crying and running away. He says, I never saw her again. She never came back to the masjid. Right? So Imam Ghazali, he specifically says that counsel them through gentleness. And her, I mean, her case was, obviously she'd just become Muslim, she doesn't even know right, the dress and this and that, but when we see somebody who's disobeying Allah, and all of us disobey Allah to some degree, right, that we should counsel with gentleness and not with violence. And this is, you know, what comes to mind also is, uh, you know, one of my teachers, actually if you guys have heard of uh, Shaykh Hussein al sattar or not, he's in Chicago, He, you know, I was talking to him once and I said, you know, somebody, there's somebody I know and I look up to him a lot and it's been brought to my attention that they are, you know, they're not they're engaging in some type of sin, right? And he told me, he said, okay. I said, so what should I do? He said, okay, there's an answer to your question and I'll answer it. So he comes back to me later and he says, look, it's very easy to look down on someone else for a sin that you are not committing, right? We think that, we, we see a sin that someone else is doing and we think, oh man, this is like so horrible. How could they do it? And it might be a really horrible sin. But in reality, how would we see it if we, if we were engaging in that sin? Because others would look at our sins and they'll look down on us also, right? And we should have husnadan, that others are not looking down on us, but he said it's very easy to look down on someone else for the sins that you're not committing. So understand that you have sins also. And he said if we, cut you, if we looked, you, looked inside of you, we'd be disgusted, right? <laughs> so this is an example of how we should treat others in their disobedience to Allah Subhanahu We counsel them through, uh, through gentleness and we hate the sin, not the sinner, and we should consider their, we should consider their sin our own misfortune. And truly, it is our misfortune. You know, one of my uh, my our like our principal, our headmaster in our madrasa in South Africa. uh, We were there. I was studying there when the uh, World Cup was going on, five years ago or so. And uh, you know, we had class six days a week, all day, and so you know, we didn't go out to it. But uh, they didn't want us to go out either. And so one day, we're waiting for Isha. We're in the masjid. Everyone's sitting quiet, and he says that you know. How Allah Ta'ala must be pleased with all of you that you're sitting and you're waiting to make Salah in his masjid. Whereas so many around us are engaged in sin. Uh, because specifically, like the World Cup and a lot of these huge sporting events, uh, they bring a certain type, they bring a lot of sin actually and negative, negativity to the environment and to that the, the atmosphere. That what happened in South Africa, that there was about a hundred thousand or so prostitutes that were imported into the country for the World Cup time. Right? and so. He said that, look, he told us then, he said that so much sin is being engaged in that you guys increase your tawbah and istighfar. Because when the masses are engaging in sin and to such an amount, then the punishment of Allah might come down and it's going to come down and affect everyone in the area, even those that are not sinning. But those that did not sin, it would be a, uh, it could be a mercy for them, that Allah Ta'ala would raise them because it's not a punishment for them. It's raising them in ranks because of their, their patience. Right? So he said, he was telling us this exact point. Look at their mis- that sin as your own misfortune and you increase your tawbah, you increase your istighfar and asking Allah Ta'ala for forgiveness. And that can be a cause to deflect any punishment that may have come down around all of us and everyone else. That you making istighfar for yourself could be a reason for everyone else to be saved from some type of punishment. Right? And then when the punishment of Allah comes, it's severe, right? It's, there's no, I mean, you're not making tawbah at that point, right? Because people, the punishment comes and they're, they're, they're finished, right? So we should look at their sins as our own misfortune. Then he says, how can we share in rahim? We share in rahim by not turning away from any needy person without meeting their needs, to whatever extent one is capable, and by not turning away from the poor until their poverty is removed. And if we're, not, if we're not able to do this, then at least we should assist them through prayer, through grief, and having sympathy and love for them as though their misfortune was our own. So we should grieve with them. If we cannot remove their poverty, we should at least grieve with them and we should make du'a for them. How many of us that when we go, when we, how many of us when we talk to someone about Islam, do we make du'a for them afterwards, in the night, for days on end, for months on end, that, O oh Allah, guide them? We don't do this. How many of us when we see someone in need, we might make one du'a, oh, you know, may Allah make it easy for you. But how often do we turn back to Allah and say, oh, that one person or all those other people that I met, oh Allah, remove their affliction, remove whatever is harming them. We don't do this. We should, He said, This is the least we can do for them, is to continuously make dua for them. Then he goes into, uh, we'll wrap up, inshallah. He goes into the question that what is, when we, what is, what is the meaning when we say, Arhamur Rahimeen, that Allah is the most merciful of those who have mercy? What does that mean? He says that, first of all, we can never understand the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so he says that, for example, uh, first of all, Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la is that being that can meet every affliction, every need, every distress, every sickness, and He can remove everything completely and in its entirety. And sometimes, right, we might think that if Allah Ta-A'la is then I'm going through difficulty time and time again, so many difficulties I have. But, you know, and it's not being alleviated. So how is it that Allah Ta-A'la is merciful? How is He the most merciful of those that have mercy? So Imam Ghazali says, look, we can't truly understand the wisdom of Allah's mercy. And there's a verse of Quran that many of us, you know, we've all recited, many of us, we've heard it time and time again. Uh, that perhaps you dislike something and it is good for you. And perhaps you, you love something but it is bad for you. Uh, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He knows whilst you do not know. Right? So there might be something good for us that we think is bad for us. And then Imam Uzali explains this. He says, look, mercy can outwardly be good, uh, or mercy is good, right? But it can outwardly be evil. And evilness, right, is outwardly bad, uh, or it is, is bad, is evil, but outwardly it can be good, right? So evil can outwardly be good and mercy can be outwardly evil. So how do we understand this? He says, for example, you have uh, a hand, for example, that has some type of infection in it. And it needs to be cut off because the infection will spread to the rest of the body. So he says it needs to be amputated. This amputation is outwardly bad because now you're stopping this person from using his hand. However, inwardly, it is merciful and it is good because it's saving the rest of your body, the health of the body. And he says another example when you have a child. And this child is, you know, needs a shot, right? He used the example of cupping but this child needs some type of shot, for example, and he, the child kicks and screams and he doesn't want it. On one hand, one parent might say, okay, you know what, just leave this child. Don't, don't give him the shot, because look how much he's already suffering and the shot hasn't even happened yet. Outwardly, we think this parent is merciful. However, inwardly, this is actually bad for the child because they might need that shot. And vice versa, you have the other parent that forces it. They put their foot down, they say, no, this child's getting the shot. Definitely, he's having the shot done. Outwardly, it looks like, man, you're forcing this child on this, this thing and you're causing more pain and suffering. Outwardly, it's bad, but inwardly, it is merciful because in the long run, this child will, will uh, have benefit from this shot, right? He'll be saved from different types of sicknesses and whatnot. So he said mercy is, Allah Ta'ala's mercy can work the same way. And we can't sit and try to dwell between all the different examples of what is it that's, you know, uh, is this mercy to me or not? Rather, we should be positive positive. And we should look towards, we should find the mercy in all the different examples that we might, different tribulations that might come upon us. And we should also have mercy for everyone else. right? There's a hadith, uh, I, I forgot where it comes, but it's a very famous hadith that when you're a student of knowledge and you, you first begin to study hadith, it's the fir- usually it's the first hadith that a teacher will recite to you. Um, and this actually has a chain like in this manner that you know every teacher going back to not to rasulullah but going back a very long time uh it's usually the first hadith that they will recite to their students and it is arrahimuna yarhamur uh, arrahimuna yarhamuhumur rahman <coughs> irhamu man fil ard yarhamkum man sama that uh, those who have mercy uh, what is it arrahimuna yarhamuhumur rahman that the merciful one shows his mercy to those that are merciful, Irhamu من في الأرض Have mercy. So you show mercy to those that are in the earth, that are on, in the world. يرحمكم من في السماء And then the one who is in the heavens, the one who is in the skies, he will have mercy to you. Right? And another hadith, the Prophet said, Manlam لم La لا That whoever does not show mercy, then he cannot expect to have mercy shown to him. By Allah. That's what that hadith means. So we should... Show this mercy, we should have mercy for, for the people around us, for individuals. And just as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, "Rahmati sabقت, uh, ghadabi, that my mercy precedes my anger. Similarly, we should have our mercy precede our anger. Right? It's easy to be merciful to those that make us happy and don't do any wrong to us. But, true, but to really show mercy to them would be those people who are bad to us, who do wrong to us. Right? And remember that yawmul Qiyamah is the day of justice. That's the day that you can take your huck back from everyone. Right, The animals will take their haqq back from us as well. Right? But that is the day that we take back whatever was not given back to us on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. But we shouldn't hold a grudge in this world. I'm not saying it'd be better if we forgave everyone for any wrong they've done. But, right, because this is actually uh, an instance of one of the, the companions of the Prophet that Rasulullah said, this is a person of Jannah. And when the Sahaba inquired that, why, you know, what is the special thing that you're doing? He said, I don't do anything special except that when I lay down in bed at night, I... I I tell Allah that, Oh Allah, whoever wronged me today, I have forgiven him. So it's better that we forgive them. But if somebody has taken your rights from you, if somebody has transgressed against you, don't hold a grudge and be cruel to them. Just Yom Al-Qiyamah, you know, take it back. Yom Al-Qiyamah. But don't hold a grudge in this dunya against them because it will consume us. It will consume us and then it's going to lead to us in this world being very um, bitter people, right? And doing evil towards them. It's going to result in us taking their rights and transgressing against them. So this was... Some of what Imam Ghazali rahimullah mentions regarding these, these two names, ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. and ar-Rahim, we went to all the way to the end. Uh, I want to try to make it a point that we end a little bit early and leave time for questions. So if anybody has any questions, Yeah. So the, the difference between the name Allah and the name Rab, uh, Allah is all-inclusive of all of Allah Subhanahu wa taala's attributes, meaning it carries with it the meanings of all of His names and all of His attributes. Um, and it is specific to Allah, that no one else shares this name Allah, whereas Rab can be shared by other people. So for example in Arabic you might say Rabbul Mal, and this means the, the owner of the money, right? Or Rabbul Bayt, the owner of the house. So Rab can be used. Ibn Kathir I think mentions this actually that rabb can be used for other things also but also rabb carries with it the meaning of tarbiyah which means to nurture and upbringing so when we say Allah is our rabb what we're saying is Allah Ta'ala is our caretaker he's the one that nurtures us and guides us and and teaches us right through the prophet sallallahu and he was actually the very specific caretaker and nurturer of the prophets right but rabb has the has a more specific meaning of uh, of upbringing and nurturing, the one who nurtures, the one who takes care uh, whereas Allah is the all-powerful name, right? It's the all-inclusive name of everything Does it include? Probably would <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions? we'll end there Because I've heard uh, people say, like, Ar-Rahman is, okay, it's either one of them. Ar-Rahman applies, uh, applies more in the afterlife for just Muslims? Uh, so, yes, yeah, so Ar-Rahman is, is more specific to, to the akhirah. I mean, we'll find examples of it in the dunya also, but it's more specific to the akhirah, Right. Even in in Jahannam, you know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He'll show His mercy to some people in Jahannam also. Like uh, Abu Lahab, he'd been condemned to the fire, right, in the Qur'an. But the day he heard of the birth of the the Prophet he freed a slave. Out of that, even though he didn't know Rasulullah was going to be a prophet, out of that, because of that action, his punishment, despite being very severe in Jahannam, because of that one action, on Mondays he's going to be given a drop of water on his finger to to drink and his uh, his punishment will be alleviated for a mo- for a few moments just a little bit on that day right so even though he's like an enemy of allah right to like the worst degree but allah taala will show his mercy even at that moment to him you know No, like watching a match would be something. no, no, it, was, it wasn't because watching the World Cup was wrong. It was because, I mean, we had class like six days a week. Um, we would end, by the time we were free, was 10 p.m. Right? We were going all day. Um, and so they also run, the, the schools over there, they kind of run on their own schedule. So they didn't want to take like three weeks off you know, for the World Cup. But the reason they didn't want us going out there was not because of the World Cup, but because of everything that was happening around it. Right. So, like, I mean, for example, the, you know, some hundred thousand prostitutes were imported into the country, right? But you can stay away from things like that if you're in that society. I feel like I grew up in Africa too. Yeah. And what I can say is, I mean, yes, some of those things could be happening around the World Cup, but you yeah. can still. Right. No. It's it definitely right. You can stay. I mean, you can stay away from it in the worst of places. Right. And in the best of places, you can also find it if you want to. Right. <laughs> Um, it, it wasn't so much about the World Cup, it's because we actually had class, you know, there's all, because the World Cup was at its time, and our class schedule was based around on Ramadan, right? So our only break was in the time of Ramadan, aside from that, we had class. And we were going all day, so that's how yeah, it was. Just, for me, my understanding of the way that you explained it was sort of like, because people in that society were sinning, um, Allah would be angry at them, and so we need I just, I feel a sense of sort of like, as Muslims, we should try and put ourselves in this place where we're better than these other people, and we should pray for them so that they don't... Right, that's what we said, right? So, all this sin was happening, and when sin happens, it it does displease Allah, right? And he gives respite for however long, right? And sometimes he gives complete respite. Um, But that's what we mentioned right after that, that uh, he, you know, like my principal actually said... All of you seek istighfar, right? All of you make tawbah because it's possible then that your istighfar would then prevent any punishment coming upon anybody, right? So it wasn't that like, oh, we, you know, we're looking down on them or anything like that. That's why he specifically said that you guys being here, you guys seek tawbah and istighfar and all that stuff, right? I mean, many many of the people that were there, maybe you know, they might not have a concept of Allah, so they don't even have a concept of tawbah, right? Of repentance. But he was saying, so you guys make increase the amount that you're even making so that you can benefit everyone else, despite even just sitting here, right? right. You can avoid these things, but obviously, there's places, there's situ- certain situations where there's a lot more temptation, also, right? And we, we should never go into a society, or go into a situation, rather, thinking that, no, I'm strong enough to handle this, right? We, we shouldn't think of that, because we don't know when our breaking point will be. Right? At a moment's notice, shaitan will come to us, and then we'll succumb to something, right? So we should always be on guard ourselves. You know what I mean? Yeah. Any other questions? <laughs> yeah, um, I, uh, I have a question about um, when you say that you know, if people are doing sins and that we should hate the sins and not the sinner, but and then the fact that you know, for example, if we see our friend, you know, it's not even a big sin; it's just something you know that could be displeasing to Allah. But you know, as a friend. Is it accountable for us to, you know, counsel the person? that if we are not in the situation where we can actually do that, is that really accountable for us? Yeah. Uh, hating what doing. No, it's, so, you know, there's the hadith of the Prophet, ﷺ where he says that you know, regarding, um, right? that the commanding of, the enjoining of good and the forbidding of evil. So he says that we should stop it with our hands. If we can't stop it with our tongues, if we can't, then at least stop it in our heart, meaning hate it in our heart, right? dislike in our heart. So if we're not able to, and there are situations where we can't speak up, right? Maybe we don't have a good relationship with the person, right? Or whatever environment it might be, we just don't have the opportunity. So at least in our heart, we should um, not like what, what's, what they're doing. And secondly, um, you know, we should have wisdom, right? Because Dawah requires a lot of wisdom. You know, and so we have to act with wisdom and maybe there's a better time or you know, that we might be able to correct them or maybe even try and t- you know, take them along to you know, uh, better environments and then maybe they'll have their own realization that, oh, you know, I was doing that thing and that was wrong, I shouldn't have done it because they'll be reminded about something else. Right? It doesn't mean that we have to be on guard and watching everyone and investigating everyone's life and sins and this and that. No, that's not what we should do. Right? But it's like if it becomes manifested to us, then we should consider it our own misfortune. And if we're able to, then we should try and dissuade them from it. You know? And we should always look at, you know, maybe I'm, I'm sinning and I, I don't even know it. Right? My, one of my teachers would tell us that by your uh, shortcomings becoming manifested to yourself is actually a sign that Allah loves you. When you realize your own shortcoming, it's a sign that Allah loves you because you've only realized it. The fact that He's allowed you to realize it means that he's, He wants you to correct it. And many of us, we're in our own heedlessness. We don't, you know, we don't know what our, we don't realize what our shortcomings are. We refuse to believe them. We refuse to accept them. We make excuses for our sins. So we should always, when it comes to ourselves, right, be strict with ourselves and be lenient with others. You know, yeah. But don't be like Sharia police walking around and just, <laughs> you know, have wisdom, right? That's why that's like the example of Mustad and Khalifa, right? Those two, they felt like they was oh, their opportunity to correct this 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 woman. And they caused a lot of harm. Who knows if she ever came back to Islam, you know? Or continued her Islam, rather, right? And now they're going to be like, they'll, they'll be questioned about that. Like, look at how much pain, you we're not even allowed to cause pain to someone's heart, you know? I think everyone needs to go, probably, sounds like. <laughs> uh, well, any other questions? آخر دعوانا الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم انت سلام كسلام تبارك تياه الجلال والإكرام سمعنا واطعنا غفرانك ربنا وإليك المصير اللهم فلنا ثنوبنا وطهر قلوبنا وحسن فروجنا اللهم إننا سألك من خير ما سألك منه نبيوك محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ونعوذ بك من شر ما استعذ منه نبيوك محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وأنت المستعان وليك البلاء ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم سبحان ربك رب العزة يعما يصفون السلام من المسلمين والحمد لله رب العالمين Uh, we'll try to make the du'as in in English as well but we ran over time today Um, there was a sign up sheet that went around it's just for anything that might be sent out about the class, class schedule changes cancellations if anybody hasn't signed up and inshallah uh, next time we'll send out there's a PDF for the book in English available online, so we'll send that out if anybody wants to read it on their own also, I want to make a quick announcement, uh, slash reminder. Uh, our MSA fundraiser is this Saturday, in case, in case you guys didn't know. And we actually have tickets right now with us. Uh, we have tickets for students, non-students, and the family. It's $10 for students, uh, 15 for non-students, and 35 for family to support. So if you would like to purchase a ticket right now, you can do so. I have the Square app with me, so if you don't have any cash, you can, I can just use your credit card. Um, we appreciate any sort of support, so if you want to support, go you and